Uh, we say good morning and uh, Shavuot. This is actually a, uh, a, uh, a Sabbath Sunday in the sense uh, of the way that the Jews would understand it. They actually have some Sabbaths that are besides Saturday. happens to be Pentecost. Do you guys know that? And we're going to be celebrating that uh, in a little bit. Not that we uh, follow those feasts in the sense of a legalistic sense, but in the sense that, that uh, it has been completed by our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that'll be part of our communion today, and we'll have just a little bit of a, a little bit of teaching on that. And uh, it's kind of interesting, very fascinating. Why don't we grab our Bibles? That sounds like a good thing to do. Grab the Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter four. Let's stand. We have two verses to read today. Think we can handle that? This is dealing with uh, the peace of God. Verse 6, chapter 4. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us to understand uh, your section of Scripture here today that we look at and that it would truly bring meaning to us of who You are and how we can respond to our everyday situations. And thank You for guarding our hearts and our minds. Thank You for our minds that we can understand who You are. In Jesus' name, Amen. We have now arrived at a passage that I have used probably hundreds of times. You guys probably have too. Uh, great for counseling. I can't think of a, a better passage. There are probably many that are equal to, but a better passage to counsel or encourage someone in uh, at least particular situations. Uh, many of you probably have these verses that we just read memorized. You're probably very familiar. Have you noticed in Philippians, it almost seems like every verse we cover, you go, boy, that is familiar. And uh, a lot of things come uh, right out of Philippians and uh, with verses that are very, very helpful to us. Uh, applicable. And uh, we, we like that. Um, it's, it's studying the mind of God and then uh, putting that into our own lives. I imagine some of you have heard me even quote these verses to you uh, maybe a few times. That's a possibility. Or you have used it with somebody. And we need to hear this. This is gospel right here. This is good news. This is really good news that we need to hear on a consistent basis because of the battles that we face every day, all the temptations, everything that goes with that. Sometimes we get so worn down, but then we need verses like this to get us back to the right kind of thinking and that gives us right back to the right kind of living. So we want to be encouraged today. Let us be encouraged as we are counseled by the very words of God. Let, let God speak as uh, His Word is um, given to us here. This is how to have the peace of God. If you're Christian, you already have peace. You have peace um, with Him. But we're talking about the peace of God. God's peace. One thing we can say for sure, I think the whole world, or a lot of people in the world want peace. They want world peace. How often do you hear that? They're striving for that world peace. Man can't have it. He's never had it. There's been wars. And in uh, the last century, there's been more wars 
in that century than all the wars combined or people killed anyway. Um, it's just one after another. Last century there was the League of Nations early in that century that was developed. It was a motive to get to world peace. And then they get, you get the UN that's developed out of that same kind of thought to have world peace. And thinking of world peace, I think of a basketball player by the name of World Peace. Have you ever heard of him? That's his name. He changed his name to that. He's a regular, had a regular name and he wanted to, to have that, the world peace. It's very interesting though. The man has been like kicked out of the league almost several times. At least kicked out of games because of his uh, over-rauciousness uh, uh, at on the goal. Uh, he's known to hit people. <laughs> and so, many suspensions and fines for world peace. Interesting, isn't it? There was a guy back, I think in the 70s or 80s, somebody might remember that. Now we're really dating us, but his name was World Be Free. <laughs> world Be Free. Bas- basketball players? I don't know. Uh, but I think even the average citizen would want world peace. They're just, they're just after us. How can we get this? And you think of the United States, and every time the United States has been in a war, there are always people who rise up and start protesting against that war. You can think back in the 60s, some of you, and the Vietnam War and the protesting that went on there. And uh, all the way up to current time, people protest those wars. They want to have war they uh, ended and to have peace. Well, it doesn't ever happen, does it? And, and it's not. It's not going to happen. Uh, it's going to take the time of Christ. But even in 1 Thessalonians 5, where it talks about the day of the Lord, people will be saying peace and safety. It'll look like maybe that's a time that they're going to have peace and safety. And at that time will come... Destruction. So there we go. Uh, as long as there is sinful man, and you go all the way back to Genesis, when sin happened, and go back to the flood, and even after the flood, sin was still there. And as long as man is here in his sinful state, in that natural state, there will be war. There will not be peace. As a matter of fact, most people will not have peace in their hearts or peace of mind unless they have Jesus Christ. So, what people really need is a true peace. Since it's not going to happen out in the world as far as nations are concerned, we know that peace can be found in the Prince of Peace. And that's where we find it. And, of course, that involves salvation. That involves the fact that He comes in, saves us. We were once enemies. We once hated Him. Uh, He was angry at us. And He comes and then reconciles us to Himself. We sure couldn't do it. We were enemies. He reconciles us, and now we are friends of Him. Not only children of Him, but friends. And uh, because He is no longer angry, we now have peace with God. As Christians, all Christians have peace with God. That has been taken care of. God did that through the person of Christ at the cross and the Holy Spirit coming in. We have peace with God. We're no longer battling Him, right? And He's not angry at us. But in our text today, it says that we have the peace of God. Or we should pursue that peace that God has. What God possesses. 
We're talking about a supernatural peace. A peace that we can't drum up from our own. It comes from without, outside of ourselves, and that's the peace of God. It's a calm, restful, gentle, calmness. It comes our own possession. We have the peace of God. No longer at war with ourselves, and, or, or God for that matter, but it's a divine stillness, a calmness there. It's the peace of God Himself. So this chapter started out uh, earlier in verse 1 where we were talking about in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. We're kind of still in that text. Standing firm. And realizing the peace that God has, that we can have that peace, that is an encouragement here, isn't it? To know that we can have the very peace of God. My, He lives in us, doesn't He? We can have that particular kind of peace. That will make us stable, won't it? It'll make us stand firm. If you're not at peace and things are going crazy, how are we standing firm, right? So he says, stand firm. And finally we get down in, uh, to verse 6 and verse 7. We can experience that deep down restfulness, peace that God has. This is an attribute of God. He is a God of peace. That's part of Him. And we know who He is and we can display that kind of attribute. That's a communicable attribute. There are certain attributes that are not communicated to us. His sovereignty. uh, Omniscience. Omnipresence. We, We can't have those attributes. But there are a lot of attributes that are His that He transfers to us. This is one of them. We can have His peace. So we can put that peace of God on display in front of the whole world and they can be amazed and wonder, how can they have that? And you've always heard people in their uh, maybe testimonies said, yeah, I saw that person and they had a peace about them that I was attracted to them and they heard the Gospel and the Gospel of peace. And uh, they were converted. They were drawn by people who had peace. So if we if we can put that on display, it sure can be uh, an encouragement to other people. And the church today, though, I do believe, probably throughout all of church history, there are people who are very unstable, and that's why Paul tells the Philippians, "Stand firm in the Lord." See, that's that's where it qualifies it, right? In the Lord, stand firm in the Lord. Some are not standing firm. They're unstable. They have all these problems. And that's, that's what comes with this natural self. Instead of looking to the very magnificent, supreme characteristics of God, they look at themselves. They look around. Everywhere but looking at God, they look at all those problems and they just start mounting up and they just get worse and worse and worse and life is a turmoil and life is terrible. And that's the way that some people are in the church that are true Christians. And they need to be encouraged that they can have the peace of God. A.W. Pink, um, quite a few decades ago, wrote a book called Gleanings in the Godhead. He wrote quite a few books of Gleanings. Well, this is Gleanings in the Godhead. Uh, let's take a, some of the best of of who God is, right? Let's look at Him. Well, He wrote this. This is back in the 1900s. 
The God of this century no more resembles the sovereign of holy writ than does the dim flickering of a candle resemble the glory of the midday sun. The God who is talked about in the average pulpit, spoken of in the ordinary Sunday school class, and mentioned is so much in so much of the religious literature of the day and preached in most of the so-called Bible conferences is a figment of human imagination and invention of Malden sentimentality. What's he saying? Well, he's saying they're really not presenting the full-orbed characteristics, nature of God. They're not showing who He is. Now, that was the church back in, in the 50s, 1950s. Now, here we are maybe 60 years later or so. And I would venture to say that would be true of what A.W. Pink said about the church then, only maybe even more so. Possibly, right? If they weren't presenting the great God back then, then what are we doing now? They weren't teaching. They weren't teaching about God. They were, right now today, we're teaching about how to make yourself feel better, how to, how to look good, you know, all the things about yourself. I want to feel good. Well, see, that's, uh, that can come along with the fact of looking who God is and seeing where you are in Christ. But all those outward things that psychology uh, has taught us has come into the church rather than teaching about uh, God. And instead of getting people into the world, people want to patch up the unstable people. They want to put band-aids on them, you know? You put a band-aid on them, how long is that going to last? Well... They give human solutions is what they do. And really psychology. And those human solutions really have no answers. Not going to be the ultimate. It it might help for a moment or two, but it's really not going to help for the eternal aspect. There's only one resting place for the soul. We know that. We stand fast in the Lord, right? Uh, Martin Luther said to uh, Erasmus, your thoughts of God are too human. That's what our problems are anyway. Our thoughts of God are just not as big as they ought to be. Isn't that the idea, uh, at least one aspect of when we get together and fellowship and have church and Bible study to help lift each other up to see a great God? To see what He's done in your life? To see what He has spoken to you and the Word of God share that isn't that incredible to be thinking about oh that's what God has done wow that's tremendous look what He's doing there but then you look at the truth here and you see much more even and so that's where we're supposed to be we must have higher thoughts of God than we had before how big is He? that's the church's I think one main problem they're not talking about how great God is, they're trying to fix your ills and your needs. If you look at God, He takes care of that. So He is the God of peace. And I know what you're asking. You might, some of you might be asking this. How can I get that peace then? Dennis, I can't wait. Why don't we get into the text? Why don't you get done with your intro and let's go? Well, that's what I say too. <laughs> let's move into this. Uh, the answer is given right here in our text today. This is how we have the peace of God. These two verses. There are many more verses. How do you do that? You stop worrying. Number two, you pray about everything. Number three, you be thankful for anything. Number four is the results. The peace of God. 
will surpass any kind of thoughts and imaginations, understanding, comprehension that you have. The peace of God is there. It's incredible that you can't even fathom. Covers it all. Let's go into it. Ready? Verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Right there. Let's stop there. Just that little phrase. Be anxious for nothing. Uh, the idea is uh, don't have... Uh, some of you might have a version uh, that might have careful... Excess of carefulness. Excessiveness turns to worry. Don't be anxious. That's, that's the idea. Be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. Don't be worried about anything. That's what we're getting to. We're not just talking about don't be worried most of the time. We're saying don't be worried ever. Never, ever, never, ever. <laughs> don't. Don't be that way. Stop your worrying. Don't get knocked all around by the world and all the trials and temptations and the fact that your little world isn't perfect the way that you wish it was. We all have this idea of the way that things really ought to be. And that's okay because there's a a kind of a little vacuum there uh, because of our sin and until we get out of this body that we're in and into a glorified body, uh, that perfection is not going to happen. Right? This is the way that it's supposed to be, but it's not happening that way. <laughs> How many times have you thought of that? Well, we can go back to verse 5 and see how that connects with our verse 6 and 7. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The last phrase says, The Lord is near. Not only is we talk, are we talking about a second coming, we're talking about right now. The Lord is near. The Lord is here. He is with us. And because of that, don't worry. Do you see how that just slides right into that? That's the trouble about whenever you drop off on one verse and have to wait a week later and you kind of forget about where you've been. So it's always good to kind of go back and cover some of the other things. Um, But that is key. The Lord is near, so we're not to be worrying. We're not to be anxious because we are building... On our Lord. We have a confident faith in the Lord because He's near. He's here. That's the bottom line. So the way that you handle problems and all these difficulties that come up is that you start thinking about your view of God. And you start reflecting that view of God in your own life. Uh, You are really the, the lights of the world we are. And then you start thinking all the power that God has. Everything that we need in this life is for us. And He gives us the power or the strength to be able to get through that. All the promises that He has, and they're endless in here, aren't they? One after another, after another, after another, and yet a worry comes up, one little worry, and it seems to override all those great promises that are right here. And we forget about the Word of God, we forget about God, and we now have turned our attention to where? Ourselves. And you know what we've just now become? Man-centered. And you know what we become man-centered? We call ourselves Arminians. And I'd never want to call you guys that and myself that, but sometimes we start trusting in ourselves. We have our own little sovereignty here. And this is all about a sovereign God here. This is how we handle our problems. Think about the resources that God has. Think about all the purposes, all the plans that He has. He has a plan that is incredible and it's even toward you and He wants you to understand that He is near. 
He doesn't always let you know why He's doing these things, but He's doing it. And so if you can understand that God is sovereign, and every Christian really does, even Arminians believe in a sovereign God. If they're really Christians, all Christians believe in a sovereign God. But do they pray? Yeah, a mark of a Christian is that they pray. If they're praying to God, they recognize that they're leaning on His. Uh, they have to depend upon Him. So really, you know, they believe in a sovereign God, but yet in practicality, they don't. And uh, that's kind of sad. And sometimes that's the way we can be though too. God is loving. God is in control of everything. He's in control of your life for His glory, for your good, right? Isn't that comforting to know? And if you understand nothing else, just to know that He's doing this for His glory and for your good, and everything is in God's control, not beyond God's control, this is basic 101 Bible, isn't it? But how often do we forget it? We have to be reminded constantly, don't we? The Gospel, preach it every day to you. If you understand that He's orchestrating, that He's designing this thing that's happening in your life so you'll be more like Christ, if you can understand that and think in your head that and say, well, He's using this for an eternal purpose, isn't He? Wow. Now that's deep to most people. To us, it's not new. We say it all the time. Boy, we forget. We forget. This is all part of the eternal purpose. Even being here today, did you know that? It's not accident that we have come together, that we've even met but that we are here to uh, to glorify God together. Um, you can be stable. You can be stable all the time. Even the, uh, the most serious times that are happening in your life, uh, you can be stable. So what are some ways that we do worry? Okay, get it in practicality. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry. Okay, that's the idea. Well, here's how we do that. Here's how we worry sometimes. If you are more anxious about what you desire, about what you desire more than what God's will is, you know what? You've turned it over to yourself and you don't have peace. You don't have peace. You're looking for something to satisfy yourself and that's not exactly what God wants. So people think to have peace is to get what you want, true or false. Yeah, people think that, but that are we? Yeah, uh, is that really peace when we get what we want? The things that we'd like to have: our cars, our homes, our jobs, our health, our wealth—all those things, pretty important things. But if they don't come out the way that we want it, at the time that we want it, then we're really disgusted. We're disappointed with God. And if that's what we're counting on to have peace. That'll never happen. <laughs> right? Those things will not give you peace. Real peace is saying, okay, I want what God wants. That's saying, it's His will. If we're striving after things and not what God's will is, then you know what? We are anxious. We're really anxious. So we rush into it. Peace of God says, you don't seek what you want. You seek what God wants. That's one way that we worry. What's another one? Well, just purely not waiting on God. Uh, turn to Isaiah 28.16. Isaiah 28, verse 16. 
Okay, we'll scratch that. Okay. <laughs> Typo. What we're saying is, uh, and hurry is a part of worry. Hurry is a part of worry. Hasty decisions. Um, we don't check in with God. What do we do? What do we do? We say, okay, I'm tired of waiting on God. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to go ahead and do this because I think it's right for me. So if we don't do it, and if we don't do it now, I'll probably lose my opportunity for later. Well, now we're making up our own plan rather than maybe sometimes what God has planned. Uh, a third way that we worry is just being unrestful. It, uh, that zaps all of our life, all of our vitality that we have. Worry chokes life, doesn't it? It chokes life, it chokes faith in Christ. So those are some of the ways that we worry. Ooh, uh, how about this? What do we worry about? Things that never happen. <laughs> we are worried about something that's going to happen in the future and we're really concerned that it develops into such an anxiety and such a worry. We're really all tripped up about this. The thing is, it never even happens. It never ever happens. Matter of fact, it has never materialized before and it never will. But we think it's going to and not the way that we want. Another thing is to look back at the past. That's the way we worry. We start thinking, oh, if I would have done this, if I would have done that. Look, oh, my, you know, and all of a sudden we got out of a restful position. The things that were in the past have already finished. Forgetting what lies behind. Paul's already said that, right? Looking forward, right? What's done is done. Don't worry about it. It's okay. God says, don't worry. You can say, well, don't you have to be careful? Yeah, yeah. But lining up with what His will is. But not worrying. And then there's legitimate concerns. But they turn into anxiety. They're, they're petty, really, compared to eternity. It makes a mountain out of a molehill. You know what I'm talking about? Something that is so small. And we worry about it. All these are kind of related. Um, how about the so-called legitimate worries? They're not even legitimate at all. Look in Luke 10, 41. This is Mary and Martha. You remember them? And... Uh, Look at verse 38. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. What did Jesus say Martha was doing while she was serving? Worrying. You are worried and bothered about so many things. Don't be worried. That's what he said. Stop it. Stop your worrying. Look at Matthew 6.25. Sermon on the Mount. Everybody knows this. 
For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will... These are basics, folks. Eat. Or what you will drink. Nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Food, water, clothing. Those things are things we have to have. And you know what? He provides. He always takes care. You've always had food. You've always had water. You've always had clothing. Maybe even more than ever. Don't be worried about your life. Even your life. He's not even talking about the little things here. Then he goes on and talks about nature and the birds and such and the flowers. How God takes care of them. Look in Matthew 13.22. The parables. This is the seed. Seed being sown. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns. Remember that one? This is the man who, look at this, here's the word, and the worry of the world, and the deceitfulness of wealth, look at this, choke the word, it becomes unfruitful. That's a mark of an unbeliever. People can hear about the word of God, they can even be in agreement with it, but they're choked out because of the things of the world, the worry of the world. We don't have to be caught up with that. Those are so-called legitimate worries that are really not legitimate. Well, that means worry is a sin. Oh, I've been sinning a lot lately, right? You might say. Is worry a sin? Yes, absolutely. John Wesley. I'm actually going to quote from John Wesley. Now, here's a guy who is an Arminian. But I'll quote him because what he says here is right. I like this. I would no more worry than I would curse or swear. Wow, he is ranking worrying along with cursing, swearing. Wow. It's just as much a sin to worry as it is any other kind of sin. Sin robs us of our joy in the Lord. It robs us of our peace. The peace that we have between uh, us and God. Uh, worry does that. You know, we can bite our nails and, oh man, our stomach can be churning, right? Be wrenching like a wet rag being wrung out. But sometimes when that happens, do you just stop in your tracks, fall down on your knees or whatever and start confessing your sin when you worry? <laughs> Boy, the moment that we would do that, I think it would really help us if we had recognized, oh, I have just been anxious Uh, Lord, forgive me of this. I know that that does not honor You. I'm not trusting in You. If we would do that, I think it would set our minds straight. See, now we're thinking on on the things of God when that happens. So, it is sin. And somebody has said it's sin, a sin, a sin. So, uh, you can think of adultery or murder or idolatry and how bad those things are. And now let's put worry right there because any sin is a sin. And all sin is against the holiness of God. So now we've just taken that little bitty little worry that we have and stretched it out and made it to be a big thing. And it is. It's against God's holiness. Wow. Is that right? But Dennis, you don't know me. I'm wired to be a worrier. That's just the way that I am. I can't help it. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Um, That's the nature. Or or our flesh. I need to say our flesh. We, we, We have new natures in us, but 
You know, we, we battle with those things. Yeah, yeah, we were once wired that way, but you know what? We're new creatures. We don't have to use an excuse. You can say, well, I have anger in me, and the thing is, I can't help it. That's just the way that I am. That's the way that God made me, so therefore I'm just going to do it anyway. <laughs> you can't do that. God says, stop it right now. I won't put up with it. Well, I'm just a worrier. That's just the way that I am. Well, no, you've fallen into sin. <laughs> wow. So why is it considered sin? Because it's doubting God. It's the opposite of trusting God. God's love is doubted. It's realizing that, oh, I just doubted that God really truly loves me. He really does care for me. You're doubting God's wisdom. You're doubting the very power of God that He has to bring this situation into the way that He desires to do it. Worry makes you doubt. And that goes against the sufficiency of God. God is sufficient in everything, right? The moment we doubt, we're saying, yeah, God, I know You can take care of this and I know that You really care, but on this one, I don't think You're going to do anything, so I'm going to worry. (laughs) That's not going to help, is it? not going to add a day to our life. William Ward said these words. Listen to this. This is is incredible. We've all been here. We've all done this. Worry distorts our thinking. It disrupts our work. It disquiets our soul. It disturbs our body. It disfigures our face. It destroys our friends. Demoralizes our life. Defeats our faith. Debilitates our energy. It unfits us to meet our difficulties. It prevents us from thinking clearly. It causes our hands to tremble so much that we cannot perform any delicate operation at all. Worry is what causes the crease on your brow. It's what ties your stomach in knots and makes you irritable and hard to get along with. Has anybody ever been there? (laughs) No. There are even those. Now get this. (laughs) Catch this one. There are some who find themselves not worrying and they start to worry about not worrying. Do you catch that? How prone are we to do that? I thought I was the only one. No, we all can do that really easy. Trusting God. 101, right? 101 Christianity. What do we do to eradicate this worry? Say, Dennis, I know, I know. I hate to worry. I don't want to worry. Why are you telling me this? I hate it. It's not something I really enjoy doing. Does anybody here really like to worry? I'm going to go off in the corner and worry. I'm going to get excited about it. You know, nobody loves to do that kind of sin. They hate it. Well, what do we do about it? Well, that age-old counsel that we always use: turn to Scripture. Scripture. Well, if you know Scripture, who are you going to know? God. You're going to know how He operates. If we understand that we have an absolute sovereign God and He has control over not only the things of the world that's out there really big, all the big things, then we start thinking, oh, well, yeah, but me, you know, He doesn't have time for me. Time. It's time to God. (laughs) Yeah, He does. Every little detail in your life He cares about. That's how much He cares. You know about the, the hair on your head? That was in Matthew 6. We didn't read that, but you know about that, right? 
I mean, he knows all that. I mean, he knows more than we'll ever even know. I mean, it's, we can't even put it into words. But if we know Scripture, if we know God, we know we can run to Him because He is on our side. He's on my team. He is going to win. He's our resource. He's our power. Let's turn to Psalm 31. And this time as I turn to the Old Testament, I shouldn't have a typo because I did check on this verse. And I'll see if I can turn to the right book maybe. Sometimes I turn to the wrong book. Psalm 31, 1-5. through This is actually titled a psalm of complaint and praise. Uh, in my study Bible. Uh, in You, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In Your righteousness, deliver me. Right, look what we've seen so far. We can take refuge. Don't have to be ashamed. It talks about His righteousness. Come deliver me. Incline Your ear to me. Rescue me quickly. So He says, here's what I want you to do. Be to me a rock of strength. And you see, the psalm writer, David, knows that he, this God, is strength. A stronghold to save me. I know you can do it. You're my strength. You're my rock. You're my stronghold. For verse 3, you are my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, it's all about your glory. For your name's sake, you will lead me and guide me. So he's a rock, he's strong, he's a fortress, he, he is leading me, he's guiding me. Verse 4, you will pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me. For you are my, what? Strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. Hmm. Jesus said something like that on the cross. Didn't he? You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. You have bought me, paid for me. You are the God of truth. I'm yielding everything. I commit my whole inner self, my whole life to You. Because You're the stronghold. You're the fortress. You are the strength. You'll lead me. You'll guide me. Everything. No matter what. That's what, that's what he said. That's what David said. Now, see, just, just that right there. You start worrying... Turn to Psalm 31. Boom. Hit that. I mean, we can go on and on and on. We can just read through the Psalms. You can look at the Proverbs. You can look through the Old Testament. You can look through the New Testament. Just turn to the Bible and reintroduce yourself to God. Or let Him reintroduce Himself to you. Right? Ah, oh, to know Him and how His ways are. So much bigger. We just so much are honed in to one little facet and that's me. And he says, forget that. Look at me. So, that's one thing that we do. Uh, we know God by knowing Scripture. You know, Calvinists believe that God is sovereign in all things. Arminians will say they believe God is sovereign. But in actuality, man is sovereign in an Arminian world. I don't know too many people go around to, you know, saying they're Arminians. A lot of people don't even say Calvinist. Um, Augustinian. How about let's go back to Pauline. Paul. Or Jesus. We're talking about absolute sovereignty. That means control over everything, even your own salvation. Our, you know, the Arminian will say, well, I know God is my hope. And God is helpful. 
He's helpful. So much depends, though, upon what I do. And if I don't, I won't be saved. That's an Arminian thought. That's a man-centered thought. That's an unbiblical thought. But they'll say, well, you've got to find it within yourself to come to Christ. You've got to find it in yourself to stay with Christ. You've got to find it in yourself to accomplish these goals. You have to find it within yourself to have spiritual victories. It's, it's all dealing with that. And maybe I know God is hopeful and He's also helpful. He'll help me with this, but I have to do it. it it's, that sounds right. And I'll get to heaven if this all works out and, and I, I might make it because God is helpful. If all the conditions are right and, and if I do these things, He'll come along and He'll give me some assistance. Yes, He did that on the cross, but now I have to do a certain thing. I have to believe in Him and then I have to do certain things to keep that going. So an Armenian believes that he has the power to choose salvation. An Arminian believes he has the power to unchoose it and say, I don't want God anymore. I had Him before, but now I don't. He has the impotence to lose it. Now, can you imagine facing death? You're on your deathbed and you're trying to get all the confession in because if there's something that maybe you've left out in confessing your sins, oh, I'm glad it's not in that sense because there are a lot of sins we have never even known that we have done or never confessed. He's lying on his bed and he's realizing that he has the power to choose Christ if he wants or to think that to be true or uh, he can lose Christ if he had him. And so, how would he feel facing God at that present moment? That's scary. If it were true, okay. We have to accept it. But that is not biblical in any measure. That is not gospel. It's not truth. And they're resting upon what they do. It's their abilities. Can you imagine being that way? That you might be saved and then you might not be saved. And you start thinking... Well, you know, maybe I committed more sins than I thought. And now I'm disqualified out of salvation. You can say, that sounds far-fetched. And that's why I have talked to a lot of people who believe that. Who actually believe if you didn't get a certain sin confessed, if you just swore and then you got in a car accident and you were killed right there at that moment, you didn't confess your sin, then you're going to hell. I have actually tried to reason with people in that sense. What good was the cross then? Did He die for all your sins or not, right? Now that's an Arminian view. And that is what will take a Christian to worrying and being in an anxious mode constantly. It's not trust in the biblical God. It is trust in man. And there's the sovereignty of man. The man-centeredness. But we all have the capacity to go back to that. And so Calvinism is really a theology based upon what Scripture is. It was part of the Reformation because it came out of Roman Catholic thinking which was absolutely man-centered. It got back, it protested and said, no, God is sovereign. And that's what Calvin 
That's what Luther preached. That's what they taught so much about God's sovereignty. It's all about God, how great He is. People like John Knox, Zwingli. You go on through uh, the Puritan age where you have John Bunyan, John Owen, uh, many, many of those. Jonathan Edwards. Coming into the 1800s, people like Charles Spurgeon, and uh, on and on up through our time. These are people who are in that line of thinking. Many of those. And that is traditional biblical Christianity. goes back to the time of Augustine. goes back to the very Word of God. And that is why we want to have right theology. Because how you think of God and what He's done is how you're going to live your life, right? So we don't want to be having the right theology and yet being practical atheists or practical Arminians, do we? We have no reason to worry. Not at all. No reason to worry. Don't be anxious. Okay, that's one thing we know God by knowing Scripture, right? All His promises, what He's about. The next thing we do is pray. We read the Word and we pray. We pray based upon what we know to be true in the Word of God. So if your theology is now right, now you can pray right. You pray for God's will. So this is the next phrase. And we move on into the next phrase in our Philippians passage. Spent so much time on that worrying, but it flows right into this next section now. Everything that makes sense. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. We have the antidote for anxiety. Where we said, here's the Word of God. Here's where you go to right there. People are running to psychiatrists. They're running to prescription drugs. They're running to illegal drugs. You know, and whatever it takes to escape. They're trying to solve their problems. They're miserable. They're buying self-help books. They're watching this, doing that, listening to this. But we have the book, the book of life. And we have the person to go to. It's Him Himself. We have the importance of prayer here. Uh, It's really not a theology of prayer here. It's really how important it is. This is the way that our attitude is to be. It's only natural as a Christian to cry out to God when we have our troubles. That's what a Christian does. He he breathes that way. That is a part of his life. Uh, What an outlet, right? Hey, we believe in prayer, right? We believe in praying, so what kind of prayer stops worrying though? Here it is. It's, a, it's prayer that prays for everything. Prays for everything. It's bringing your cares and turning them into prayers. Giving them to God. You take your cares or your worries, your anxieties, boom, say, oh, I'm going right to the Lord with this. Right there. And now we've turned them to Him. Now this word for prayer here is a general term uh, for prayer. It's not specific. It's dealing with a general prayer adoration. uh, Let's say worship of God. Uh, Sometimes we rush right into the throne room without recognizing how great He is. Remember we talked about Scripture earlier and remembering the supremacy of God, how great He is. We go to the throne room instead of sometimes recognizing the power of God and His great greatness, 
we, we, we fail to see His nature and we start right away with our worries to Him without recognizing, oh, if I can see Him as the great, powerful, awesome, mighty, majestic God, and that's His character and that's His very nature... And, and getting a glimpse of this greatness, if I can get, a, get that, get His character and all of His abilities down, then it's going to help me come and ask for the necessary things. And now those necessary things, when they're underneath all of this mighty, powerful God, now makes it a lot more easy to understand what's going on. Uh, prayer, it's... it's Let's let's say it's worship of God, bowing down before Him. Um, and the next word is supplication. That's an earnest, specific request. It's something that is very specific. You're pouring out your very soul for this specific thing that is in your life at this point. Anything that comes to your life that you know you need to bring in is specific. It's not just saying, "Hey, God bless the missionaries." Um, Hey, watch out for all the orphans and the widows, Lord. We're talking about something that's specific. Taking it right to Him. And the next one is request. Or uh, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Right? With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Request is uh, a detail. It is prayer in detail. Not, Not only specific... But now getting to the details. Guy King put these three terms together. Prayer, supplication, request. He said this, and he sums all this up. I think it's, it's helpful. God is interested in the concert as a whole. Okay? There's our prayer, general. The program in particular the program of that concert. So you have the whole of it all, the general. The program, which is the particular. And then the items in detail. He's interested in meeting in general. God is with us. In general, He is desiring to meet us as we worship Him. And then He's interested in the one heart that comes to him, that's laden down with all these cares and burdens. But not only is he interested in that one and the cares, he's interested in each item of that one person or that one heart. Now that is getting to be amazing. God, here's your specific request. He wants those, but then also he comes down to the very detail of it all. Man, prayer does make a difference. It changes us. Prayer changes us in how we view God, in how the way that He's working, in the timing of it all. But you know, it, so it it can change things. It doesn't change God, but it does change things. There are things that it changes us. Uh, and the things that you pray about, all of a sudden you might start gearing it back to a different way. If he has an answer in that way, you might try thinking another way, but it's always coming back in, in God's will, right? Now, it says, be anxious for nothing but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Be thankful for 
anything. Anything. Because we know God's going to use it. There's where the Romans 8.28 comes in. You might say, yeah, I, yeah, I pray, but it doesn't seem to do any good. You guys will all have that happen. It just doesn't seem to be getting past the roof. It's not going past the ceiling. There's nothing happening here. Well, the answer is, have the attitude of thanksgiving. Because God does answer. Be praiseful as well as prayerful. Bring your thanksgiving to God. Saying, thank you, Lord. And you can start with your present time or you can think in the past tense. Uh, For one thing, what God has already done. Shouldn't we be thanking Him for what He's already done, right? Oh, that's right. He took care of me at that time. He did this. Yeah, He's never really let me down. And then you, you start thinking about even right now. Yeah, He's taking care of me even right now. Um... And then, what God is going to do, though we don't even know it. That's what bothers us the most. We know God is going to do something, but I don't know what it's going to be. And then we, you know, that's where our anxiety starts to happen. He says, don't be thinking and worrying about tomorrow. You have enough things to be thinking about today, right? Uh, let's turn to Daniel chapter 3. Oh, I love that. This is all about attitude and how we view God. And this is remarkable. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Rack, Shack, and Benny? <laughs> Veggie Tales Day. Taking up the context, 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. He's able to do that. And He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. But look at this. But even if He does not, let it be known to you, O King, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. All they had to do was bow down to the golden image. Everything's cool. They said, we absolutely refuse to bow down to that. We are not going to do it. And God will deliver us. And even if He doesn't deliver us or do it the way uh, that you know, we might think or people would think, whatever He's going to do, I can tell you this is the right way. Now, that is being thankful, isn't it? Because they know that they don't know what's going to exactly happen in the future, but they know that God has taken care of them. And what happens even if they did die? They go to be with the Lord right there. Uh, That's not a bad deal either, is it? But God did deliver them. He showed His glory in them. So just be thankful for anything. Whatever it is, if you can be thankful about that as you go to prayer, even though you don't understand what's going around you, with that kind of attitude, and that's what thanksgiving is, it's an attitude. That is what we're to be doing with in everything. In everything. Anything. Now, verse 7. This is the really good part here. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
This is the result. This is the meat of it all. This is where we've been heading. We could have spent our whole time on this. But all the other stuff is part of this about having peace. What is this peace? Go to John 16.33. This is this inward peace. We already have peace with God. But what about the peace of God? John 16.33. Get a few Scripture here and see if it helps. These things I have spoken to you so that in Me you may have peace. In Him we have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage. (laughs) I have overcome the world. I'm on the winning side. I am the winner. You have Me. Everything you have in Me. There's where our peace is at. Let's go to... Uh, isn't that promising? First Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Now, Peter was around when Jesus said that in John 16, the night before that He was crucified the next day. And you remember Peter, Peter denied the Lord three times. And he heard the Lord talking about peace there. You'll have tribulation, but you know you find peace in Me. Take courage with that. Well, Peter didn't really do too well with that. But later on he learned it. First Peter five seven. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Don't you like that? Cast all. How much? Most of it. I'm gonna hang on to a little bit here, just in case. Sorry, you don't have that option. You've got to give him all. He's the king, he says, I want it all. Yes, I want all that bad stuff. You don't want that. All your words. You know what the J.B. Phillips translation says? I think it's kind of cool. You can throw the whole weight of your anxieties upon Him for you are His personal concern. Boy, does that really hit it? It gets personal there, doesn't it? Isaiah 26.3 says this. I know what this says. I read it here just to make sure. No titles. The steadfast of mind. Remember? Be steadfast. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because He trusts in you. We trust in God, Right? Next one says, trust in the Lord forever. For in God, the Lord, we have an everlasting rock. Perfect peace. He'll keep us in that perfect peace. Oh, I like that. I wonder, are there times when storms surround you? Remember the storm? Jesus' disciples are out in the boat. Jesus sleeping. Storms surround us, right? All the cares, the fever of the cares. I mean, it, it, it's almost like the very pulse of her soul has risen to a fever heat. We're burning up in it. We feel the choking, the anxiety, and, and all the excessive care, all the worries around us. And they're ready to destroy us, consume us. Can I tell you, can we remind ourselves, there's a barrier that's available. 
There's a barrier. It's like a fortress. And it's like a, a rock wall. It's like an army of troops that are surrounding us. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds. Everything. All your thinking. It's a peace of God. The peace of God that garrisons your very heart, your soul, your, your thinking, your, your mind. This is peace. And you can't even understand it. But you know it's peace. There shouldn't, be under, there shouldn't be any kind of peace that I'm going through in this hurricane that's all around. And I'm on the eye of the storm. I don't understand it, but I'm not really shaken by this at all. God is doing some kind of an amazing thing. And you're inside, just rest. You're in the ark. You're in Christ. Wow. You can understand when the sun is shining. You have all your friends around you. When you're at worship and man, your heart is at rest and you're worshiping God, you're praising Him and all the comfort you ever can have. And all of a sudden, something comes along and just takes away your joy and your peace. And you remember, oh, wait a minute. He's the garrison. He's the guard. He's guarding my heart. The word is to keep. Shall keep. The word literally means to keep. The outposts of your being are standing in a very faithful, protective guards. A service there. The gateway of your feelings. The gateway of your mind, emotions, you know, all the threats, all the intrusions, all the disturbance, because your mind is not on your cares. It's on Christ. It's on God. That's how it works. Too simple, but it's very profound, isn't it? It's basic 101, but that's what you do with your worries. I need to tell myself this every day. Maybe quite a few times a day. This verse 6 and 7 is incredible. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Be thankful for anything. And the peace of God surpasses all your understanding as He defends our hearts through Jesus Christ. Is that an amen? Let's pray. Father, we are thankful to You. As You say, all of our prayers are to have thanksgiving no matter what is in our lives we know that you work it together for good because you love us and we love you and we're called by you it's all for a purpose we don't understand and even when we have that peace we don't understand but it is truly awesome indeed you are a great God a God worthy to be worshipped. And we pray that as we have tried to put our minds and our hearts on You this morning, that it will be something that is pleasing to You today and it will accomplish Your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.